Why was Chati Shavinash included in that? When we see the tribes who originally came to Moshe to request Ever and Yarden, it was God and Shavit Ruben. And the deal that Moshe made that they would be the troops who would go ahead of Klai Yisrael was Shavit God and Shavit Ruben. So we understand why they kept their side of the bargain and therefore why they were given Eretz Agilot. But when in the original Master Math, in the original discussion between the Shvatim and Moshe as to who was going to get Ever and Yarden, it was only Bnei God and Bnei Ruben. And yet later on in Pashas Tvarim, when Moshe goes over the story, and he says who he gave, that he already separated the land of Sichon and Og, the east side of the Jordan, and, and apportioned it to various Shvatim, so now he throws half of Shevet Menashe into it also. And the question is, where did they get involved in this? At what stage did Shevet Menashe get involved? They weren't part of the original uh, delegation that came to ask for it, so why did they get it? And why specifically half a shevet in Asher? What is the idea of giving half a shevet? So there are two reasons we see why Dafka shevet in Asher was chosen and why Dafka half of in Asher. The simple reason, the simpler reason, is because we see later on in Yeshua, even after the the half the tribe of Asher was given every item, when Yeshua is going to apportion the land to the various Shvatim, and he gives Menashe the Echelech, so the Pasuk there tells us that Menashe came to complain. Menashe came to complain about the Echelech they were given, and, there is, and I'm just reading the Pasuk inside, it's in Perikid Zayin, it says, Vayedabru b'na Yosef as Yeshua, Leymar, Madu'a nasa'ta li nachla garol echad v'chavl echad, why do you only give me one piece of land? Vani amrav, I'm a big, a lot of people that Samash Hashem has blessed me with, and therefore the land you gave isn't big enough for us. That was the complaint of B'nai Yosef to Yeshua. And Yeshua's answer basically was is if your Nachla that you were given isn't big enough for you, then go and to gave them land they could conquer to increase their territory. So we see that. He gave them more. He told them to go conquer various lands, which they could take and increase their territory. We'll see exactly where that was. The higher of Beshan, we'll talk about that. But we see that the Bnei Ephraim and Menashe came with a complaint that they didn't have enough territory, and therefore Yeshua to find them more territory. Now this was the case. So then the fact that Moshe already gave some of the land, which was the, there was a lot of land, and the Ebrayard to Bnei Menashe. Helped alleviate the problem, right? Because that way, being as the amount of land they got was too small for the amount of people that they had, so by giving them some of the Avrayadin, they helped the problem. Now, now, this is this obviously is based on two Hanachas, both of which which the Mafoshim argue about. The first Hanacha is, and this is a general question which we're going to discuss, which is why this is a good uh, starting point to the topic, and that is, how was Israel divided? How was Israel divided? In Adul, we know it was correct. It was divided with the Goral. But if that's the case, were all the Goral, pieces of the Goral, created equal? Because if you're going to split up Eretz Israel between nine and a half Shvatim, so you're going to make Eretz Israel into nine and a half equal portions of land. And if that's the case, right, you're going to give each one a Goral, and all, all portions of land are of equal size, we're going to have a big problem. Because Shevet Yehuda, for example, 
for 74,000, I think 600 people, whatever it was, over 74,000 people, and you have a small shevet like shevet Naftali, which is only 30-something thousand people. So how are we going to split the, the portions of land evenly between the different shvatim? Some shvatim are much bigger than other shvatim. And if that's the case, if you're going to split the land by a goyrel, so we have one of two options, and they're both not good. The one option is to make all the chalakim various shal equal, in which case it's going to give me that some shvatim get a much bigger chalak per capita per person than another shvatim. Or the other, sh- other answer would be to divide the land into unequal portions. Right? But if that's the case, you're predicting what the goyrel is going to be. Right? In other words, if you're making one much bigger chalak, what you're saying is the shavu Yehuda has to get that chalak because he's a bigger shavu. And if you're making one much smaller chalak, it means you're saying one of the small shvats are going to have to get the chalak because it's a smaller chalak. And therefore we're going to see there's a big machlagis in the Rishonim. How could they apportion or split Klaishal into pieces right, and do a goyrel when there was a, an in, disproportionate amount of people in each other? Also, don't we know that Yom, for example... And the, the basic question is, did the goyrel actually decide something? Or is it just a way of proving like in a miraculous way that what Hashem wanted to happen, happened? And therefore, if anyone would argue about why did you decide to give your share in, I mean, you heard in the, in the south, and you gave your Naftali in the north, and you gave Zvodim by the sea, and Midyamim by the Mesa Mikdash, so look, we'll miraculously show that the Goyal will come with exactly the same thing. But in reality, the Goyal wasn't determining anything, because it was all already predetermined. And the Goyal was just sort of showing Kali Israel that there can't have any complaints, because Kira shouldn't agreeing with it, and making it come out like that in the Goyal. That is one approach. One of the approaches is that the point of the Goyal was just to show that there was some kind of has to come in a shemaim to what anyway they were going to do, and the decision was based on what whatever Messiah Yeshua got from Moshe or whatever the he was given, and the the girl just came to corroborate it. So nothing was decided because of the girl, but everything was so to speak backed up by the girl. That's the one minor to Rishonim take, and it answers the questions because that way everything is already organized, and the girl is just going to prove that that's correct. Right, that's why Malach is the second Malach of the Ravid, which we'll see by the in the next paragraph when you see how they did the girl. Now, the problem is, whichever Malach we're going to explain about exactly how they decided how to split up Eretz Yisrael and how to do the girl, the problem is, is that it doesn't work for Shevet Yosef. Because the land that Yosef got, we can see on the map, the land which Yosef got is definitely not in size of the size of the Shevet. Right? The area which Yosef got basically is what we call Har Ephraim. That was the area of Ephraim. Hari Ephraim is the middle part of Eretz Yisrael. So if you're going, even to, let's give it its borders, if, even today, if you go north from Yerushalayim, right, towards Ramot, towards even higher than that, uh, where Shmuel Lavi is buried, right, that direction, this is all Chanachas Binyamin. Binyamin was in the north of Yerushalayim until in, in his south, the, south, the southern end of Binyamin's territory touched the Harabites. But going north, you're coming to Nachas Binyamin, above Nachas Binyamin. Which means the middle Chalak of Israel, today what you call um, the Shamran, right? Shila, Basel, Shechem, not Gilgal, Gilgal is more to the, on the side of the island. I mean, it's a city wrong there, but that's not the same direction, right? Uh, with, uh, today, what they'd say Ariel is, or all those middle, that middle Chalak of Israel, which is there pretty much, right? That whole area, which is uh, what they call the West Bank, that was all Nachlas Ephraim. Nachlas Menashe was next to it. Smaller towards the sea. In other words, I can see on the map as we will bring them up in Chal Chalakim, which is more towards the sea, which is the Chalak, today more like Bechadera, towards Netanya, that area is. Right. 
Now, that's not a big portion of land compared to the size of Shevet, Ephraim and Menashe together. Shevet, Ephraim and Menashe together were the bigger Shevet. Like we know, right? Because that was the bracha. That they should be fruitful. Or like Moish gave the bracha. Yaakov gave the bracha. Birka Shaddai and Baracham. The bracha of fertility. Moish also repeated that bracha of by Yosef. So yes, Yosef was a tremendously big Shevet. And the land they had wasn't in keeping with the size of the Shevet. Just by comparison, Yehuda, which was an as big a Shevet, right, as the whole of Eretz Israel, from Yerushalayim, the whole south until the end, until the southern border of Eretz Israel. So we're talking about a tremendously big piece of land, right? It's true that it wasn't as fertile. Yeah. It's true that it wasn't as fertile. That was part of the Cheshman, as we're going to see. But it reminds us it's much more territory. Yeah, but, you know, it's a very poor land. Yourself told Yosef that if you don't have enough land, you gave them an area where they could go, Lech of Erech you gave them more territory for them to conquer for themselves that they could expand their, their Nachal. Now, what was the territory and why wasn't it a portion of the So we'll see when you get to that very question. But anyway, so like I said, so if that was the case and everything was non Merosh to Moshe where each Shavit would be, which by the way is the simple shot of the Psukim at the end of the Tesabracha. Hashem Shadim as the Kalagil at dawn, that Eris Haftali, that Eris Ephraim and Menashe. So when Hashem Shalom married Israel, it gave its names of the Shvatim. Right? And the end of Pasukim was Esabracha. Hashem Shalom, the land of each Shavit. So that's because if Moshe already was shown in advance which each Shavit was going to get, so it would make sense that he would convince some of Menashe to take land in every yard and also, because that would, he, was so, he foresaw the problem and therefore there would be a way to lessen the problem. That's the one Maharach Mephoshim give, why B'nai Menashe, at least half of them joined joins everybody else in every yard. The other answer, which is a much more interesting answer, and that is brought down in the, in the Midrash, and it says that Moshe was worried that Bnei God and Bnei Reuven, right, they, they said themselves, the motivation they wanted to live in every yard then is because they have lots of sheep and it's a land of pasture. Eretz, Merihul, and like I said in the Pasuk, right? So Moshe didn't want that the Shvat of yard then should be completely... Um, so to speak, based, based on their finances or their sheep or their materialistic gain. And therefore, he wanted a shavit who was going to hold them in check. So, who are his options? Which shavit could he send to Eva Yarden, so to speak, which would, be, which would do the job of being the spiritual, uh, let's say, mentors of Reuben and God? So, he took their neighbors. Right? The way that the, the, way the machines worked in the midbar, was the, the second machine was Machine Ruven, which was Ruven, Shimon, and God. So Ruven and God were together in this. Shimon doesn't count because Shimon, much was angry with him, he didn't give them a Nachla. And we'll see what happens in Shimon. And then the next Nachla, the next uh, Machine coming after them was Menashe Ephraim Binyamin. So he took their neighbors, Menashe Ephraim, and he sent them to to join them in Evayad and to be, so to speak, kind of the more Ruchni Chalik of the Shavit that would be there to be their, their guides, so to speak. So, that, so either way around, it was Moshe's idea to send Chatzim and Nashe there. Not necessarily Nashe that wanted it. Why did he split the tribe? Now, why was Nashe split? In other words, every other Shavit sh- got all together. And Dafka and Nashe, we find, was, was, nishra, was Nechlak, was split. Um, it's an interesting thing. The Midrash says, it's a Midrash, uh, the Midrash says, was a punishment was a punishment for Menashe because Menashe, as we know, was Yosef's right-hand man. 
And therefore, when when Yosef in Yisrael is the first born son of Menashe, the issue Joseph always tend to do whichever job it was was Menashe. And therefore, when it came to separating the Shvatim from each other, when he kept Shimon back and let all the other Shvatim go, the one who did that was Menashe. And therefore, as a punishment, it says for separating the Shvatim, Hashem said, "I'm going to separate your Shavit." And therefore, so many years later, Shavit Menashe was split Kilo as a as a Oynish in some form for being the one who caused the period between the brothers in Mitzrayim. Which is an amazing thing. But we find similar things also. We're going to see when we get the story of David HaMelech, that when David HaMelech told Mephibosheth that you and Siva, as his servant, can split the field, Hashem said, that's what you're doing to him, I'll do the same thing to you. I'll split your kingdom between your grandson Rechavam and Yerav HaMelech. So we see that there's a certain Midas Adin, that when a person causes a division, the Ke'ilu is played back the same way. Okay, wherever it is, so the Chalik Menashe was given, Yitzchat Chalik Menashe was given by Moshe and Yarden, and the rest of Shabbat Menashe got the Chalik in Eretz Yisrael. Yeah. Shabbat now we're holding by Herakir Gimel, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, when the Shabbat Halevi, Lai Nasen Moshe Nachla, Hashem Elekei Yisrael Gunachalasam, Hashem Dib Elohim. Shabbat Levi didn't get a Nachla, because, and this is the first in the Basak many times, HaKadosh Baruch will be the Nachal of the Levim, like he promised them. And if that's the case, they weren't given the Nachal, which means land to cultivate. Right? And the reason for that is, like the Rambam explains, that the idea of the idea of cultivating land would be a person's preoccupation, would take them away from the ability to focus solely on Avodah Hashem, and therefore Levi wasn't given land. However, they still needed to live somewhere. And that's why there was a the Nachl of the Levim was the cities that the Levim were given. And even though the land was apportioned to all the Shvatim, the Master each Shavit, I'm going to see, had to give up a number of cities for the Levim, so that way the Levim would have residence uh, with, throughout Eretz Israel. And they were also on the other side of the island? They were also on the other side of the island. I'm going to see. I'm going to see, especially the Arim. Arim Mikha is also on the other side of the island, which are Levim. Now, if already, we can ask a question, and that is... Um, we understand that the Levim didn't need land to cultivate, but the Levim needed places to live. So we understand they were given places to live. Why do they have to be scattered all over the place? Why can't you make one or two major centers, so to speak, uh, in big cities, and put all the Levim in one place? Why was it less for the Levim to be split in 48 different cities? 48 different cities means there were, there were so many Levim to start with. But you're talking about scattering families all over the place, right, over the length and breadth of various Israel. So why don't we just, even if you're going to make cities for Levim, make central places of Levim. Why do they have to be scattered everywhere? So here's the first, in the, in the, in the Chazal also, on the Pasuk, Achal can be Yaakov. If it's a Israel, Yaakov really said he's going to do that. But when he got angry with Shimon Levi, so the end of Yaakov's admonition to Shimon Levi was, Achal can be Yaakov, I'm going to split him up to have a whole through Israel. Both Shimon Levi, and therefore, even though Levi wasn't given the Nachalo, but the studies they were given were scattered all over Israel. However, on the one hand, it was a punishment for Levi. On the other hand, it was a big bracha. It was a big bracha. Both for the Levim and for Klai Israel. For the Levim, it was a bracha, because what the Levim were living on was the Maeser of Klai Israel. And if that's the case, especially then, there has to be a way to transport the Maeser to the Levim. And it wasn't so simple to do that. For example, there's Maeser Shani. Maeser Shani has to be brought to Yerushalayim. Right? You can't eat it anywhere else. So wherever you are in Israel, even if you're no, no far north from the Golan or far south by the Arava, wherever it is, you're going to have to bring the Maizah Shani to Shalim. It didn't work. You couldn't keep it fresh for so long. 
And that's why the whole interest of Maizah Shani was to sell the Maizah Shani and take the money to Shalayim and use the money because he couldn't bring the Maizah Shani to Shalayim. The halacha was a one day's journey from Shalayim you had to bring the Maizah Shani but that it could last. More than one day you could fight with the money and bring the money to Shalayim. If that's the case. If you have to give the Maizah to the Levim but okay, beside it, where's my nearest lady? If he's far away in Yerushalayim, I'm not going to be able to get the Maizah to him. It's not going to last. Remember, Maizah wasn't just dry grain. Maizah was everything. It was fresh fruit. So how am I going to get it to Shalayim to give it to the lady? And therefore, Mitzad the Levim, it helped them that they were all over the place because whichever Shavit I was in, is always the nearby Arya Levim, which I'll take the Maizah I have to the nearest to the Levim. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't a long journey. It wasn't that it wasn't, I wouldn't be able to do it. That was Mitzad the Levim. That way they would get the benefit of the Maizah. And then obviously, the benefit of Israel is that the Levim would be the teachers. Like the Basak says, that uh, the Torah of actually people. Right, that they would be the teachers, and therefore, having scattered them all over Israel, they would have a ready source of, of people to ask Shaddis from, wherever they were. There's years later, I think it was the Chavetz Chaim who said this about the Yeshivas. That the Gemara says originally they set up Yeshivas in Shalai, the Gemara of the Chavalef, and the Shem and Gamal, the Kohen Gadol, came along, as the Taka they set up Yeshivas in each town. And they would remind me the Yeshivas in every town of Israel. Right? And Chavetz Chaim, the years later, he explained this. He said that's exactly the same thing. He says the Maaser has a benefit both ways. Number one, and remember this was talking in Europe when the yeshivas were supported by people in the town used to feed the bachim. So he says the same thing. If you have one central location where everyone goes to, so to, to organize it, everyone can send support, it's much more difficult. But if in every town you have a local yeshiva which people can help, uh, even if they're going to be feeding the bachim, so you make it easier to support the yeshivas. And number two, you have a culture in every town. You have the in every place where there's going to be a sound of learning. It's exactly like the original Arya Levim, which was scattered throughout Israel, is the same thing today. And other, that, that was, even for recently, I'm just going to finish with this, that was always the mindset of the Gedolim, even here in Israel. Not to centralize the yeshivas, to decentralize them. That every city should have a yeshiva. Every, both in the, in the, in Israel. And why? That way the Torah world is more split up. It's true. That is a benefit because every Jewish town that has its Machim Torah has its Machim Torah which it can work to support but also has its Machim Torah which can work to inspire it. Exactly. With, 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 with whatever it is but it's to decentralize the Torah that every place has its Machim Torah.